The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Happy Holidays! From Haley, Alex, Alexis, Hope, and the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to part three of uh, this three-hour tour known as the pop-up edition of uh, the Tom Sumner Program, featuring Armchair Politics for this 2022 Year in Review edition with our panel of political pundits, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left. Paul, thanks. Uh, Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And joining us uh, kind of at the last minute today, he's Village Magazine Consulting <laughs> Editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, it's, uh, um, again, I apologize for not confirming ahead of time, but I, I I was just so convinced that the show would be great with you, I just automatically assumed you'd be here. <laughs> oh, well, I'll accept that question. And uh, for people listening to the show, this is uh, being taped on uh, Monday, the 26th of December, and it will air from 6 a.m. on Wednesday, the 28th, on uh, the Tom Sumner Program website. It will stream all day and night through, or not through, until New Year's Eve. So, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, all day Friday. So, um, you'll have lots of time <laughs> to say goodbye to 2022. <laughs> now, at the end of the uh, uh, part two, the second hour of our uh, three-hour tour here, we were talking about the midterms and the red wave, or lack thereof, and some of the reasons why there wasn't as big a red, a red wave as was being um, historically and and contemporarily um, predicted, and we talked about the impact of uh, the uh, Dobbs Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Uh, we also talked about the Mitch McConnell theory, which Paul shares about uh, candidate quality being an impact. And Henry sort of touched on, we didn't talk about it much, but a Trump slump. 
that uh, yeah. Trump just didn't have the juice, and so some of his candidates didn't do particularly well, especially the ones that uh, talked about um, the election deniers, mm-hmm. the so-called election deniers, um, and how that impacted it. Um, if anybody wants to, to weigh in on the Trump factor, I'd be happy to entertain that. And then I have another thing that I, I don't think has been talked about enough. Well, I was going to I was going to go to another thing besides the Trump factor. I think I think Trump, like I say, maybe his he still got his core support, but it seemed like it's shrinking down to I'm going to say maybe a third or so of the Republican Party, approximately, and that it's, it's hardcore support is still there. And if he, if he my theory is that if if Trump runs against one or two other candidates for the nomination, he's probably going to lose. But if he runs against a dozen of them, like he did in 2016, I think he could pull it off again. You never know. So I think there's a possibility that, uh, you know, depending on what happens with the <coughs> indictments and all that, but if he runs again and there's a lot of candidates, that 30 or 40% may just be enough to put him over the top one more time. But if he's up against one one other strong candidate, maybe two, I, I don't think he's, he's going to win the nomination. It's my, it's my theory right now, at least. Um, see what Henry thinks about that. Well, there's DeSantis, and there's, uh, of course, the vice president, uh, and several others that are running, and DeSantis seems to be very, very strong, as you can see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he seems to be very strong. He's, he's strong within the leadership of the party. He is popular among Republicans. <laughs> he's popular among Hispanics. Oh, this guy has a lot going for him. And uh, Trump needs to maintain his core group and try to reach out to other groups who make up the electorate. He's got to reach some Democrats, and he's got to reach some independents, and he's got to reach women and minorities. And he hasn't focused on that yet. Uh, So uh, he probably is working on that, I would imagine, but... I was thinking some of his recent behavior seems to have gone almost over the top to offend even some of his more, at least more marginal supporters. I'm thinking of meeting with uh, Kanye West and uh, white supremacists and some of his comments about uh, overturning the Constitution. I mean, things that even for Trump seem to go beyond the bounds of of his normal behavior. Yeah, and see, this is where the American people come in. The American people is a stabilizing force between factions. And they, probably the American people don't even, we don't know who they are. We don't know what their voting behavior is. We don't know what they believe in. But somehow, uh, when you take a look at a composite uh, look at their uh, behaviors and their beliefs, they will do the right thing. That's what I'm, that's what we, this is where we were talking earlier. But there's a mood of change, as uh, someone has said early in this country, and they could sense it. And uh, I think, Paul, you also said that, and, and I feel the same way. There's a sense of stability coming back to the country. I almost wonder whether I see some parallel with someone like Joe McCarthy, who had his popularity, but then as he overplayed his hand, all of a sudden 
McCarthy himself in the 1950s faded fairly quickly, too. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with Trump, but I, I, I can see some rough parallels at least there. Didn't Joe? Know. Didn't Joe Welch uh, sort of signal the beginning oh, of the end from <laughs> yeah. McCarthy? Have you no shame? Yeah, yeah. That that, that final quote uh, was really the I end remember, of it. I don't think we're there yet. Apparently, I mean, I remember Ben Sass making a speech like that, but what four years ago or something? I thought, oh, Ben Sass is coming out saying, you know, have you no decency, basically, and that just wasn't. Even, it didn't even have. It didn't even cause a ripple. Yeah, you know uh, Trump's uh, his uh, regular theme to the American people is to make America great, make it independent, make it risk-free of invading hordes of other people coming into country without authorization, stuff like that. That's what I believe the majority of American people believe that that should be part of the uh, of, of the solution to our problems today. He believes in bringing back jobs from Europe uh, and other parts of the world, Asia, China, Japan, and so on and so forth. I, I, I doubt whether there are many Democrats or leaders who would not agree with that. So he has a good message. Well, and that's it. You know, the messaging has has been pretty good. And and even some of that, yeah, I got a lot of money, but I'm just like you kind of thing, which he somehow is able to pull off. Um, the thing is, is it's all form and no substance. You know, the Make America Great Again, That's that sounds wonderful. Nice bumper sticker. But how? You know, there's no real plan behind any of this stuff. I'm going to build a wall. We're going to keep hordes of invading uh, murderers and rapists out of our country. Well, that sounds good, of course. That's but, political. That that that's not substantive. Uh, that's 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 that. yeah. Well, that well, that's my point, Henry. Is is he says these things and they sound good and they rile people up, but he's really not. He doesn't really have a plan, and I think people are finding that out, and they're starting to realize that a little bit, which is which is why he's um, tapering off. You know, his momentum has slowed a little bit. Um, <clears throat> did the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago um, come close to re-energizing <laughs> Trump's momentum? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I saw a couple of polls that suggested a little bit of a bump up when that happened from his supporters. Um, I think the real thing is, what what was he doing with all those documents? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't care about that. Some people, I mean, I do, and, you know, a lot of people don't care. Just the the... The uh, idea that they're mine, 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 I mean, it makes them look really bad. But I imagine there's a lot of people that don't understand it. To me, if you want to compare what he's done that's the most persuasive, that criminal charges should be filed, if you want to go there, is the whole um, Georgia find me, find mm. me votes. Uh, yeah, to me, exactly. I think almost everybody could understand that that phone conversation was pretty damning and I mean, I, I think his his repudiation of the law on the Mar-a-Lago thing is just 
typical bald, you know, uh, defiance of just standard behavior, and it's irritating and terrible, really. But a lot of people might not see what. Why does that matter? But if you talk about that Georgia situation, I think most people would say, uh, "Yeah, that matters." You know, uh, you're right. Now, all documents uh, generated as public policy documents belong to the American people. There's right. a place for them. And uh, there's no excuse for removing those. Now, I, I agree with that. It's just like uh, I, I do with, too, with, with... Do you think the rest of the people do? Do you think, like, Trump supporters, do they get that? Uh, I'm not so sure, but uh, we're, we're hoping that the bulk of the American people do. But those documents belong to the government, and the government is, is, is itself is sovereign. It's bigger than all of us. It's bigger than any segment of us. And they yeah. and and then and that those records are supposed to be department, uh, deposited in the Department of uh, Commerce. Department and, of, and apparently, uh, some many of those were, were were very top secret. They should have never been removed yeah. from from certain right. secure locations. But uh, I'm not saying that there are some records that he could have taken with that would not have caused any any problem. It would have just been debate. But I'm, I'm surprised. Some, I'm surprised he didn't get one of his uh, questionable lawyers to um, suggest that they were starting the Trump library there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I don't know whether there's still a, there's still a law that says that, that, that those documents belong to the United States government. I got, I, got a, I got a kick out of the fact that he said he could declassify documents by saying he's thinking about it. I thought maybe next year I'd pay my taxes by thinking about it, too. <laughs> that could do it. <laughs> now, this is not, I'm not speaking against Trump. I'm talking about what the law is. Right. No, no, any, no, no, any, no, you're absolutely right. Any kind right. of a document that's created by Clio schools belong to the school board. They don't belong to the, they belong to the people of the mm -hmm. school district. They don't belong to Henry Hatter. They don't belong to... Um, Joe Dogs or anybody else, but they belong to the government institution that generated them. Well, one more thing I wanted to bring into um, <clears throat> that I don't think enough people have talked about with regard to the the uh, uh, oh the, yeah, the red one wave. more I want to mention too, yeah, <clears throat> and that's the um, movement in in Michigan and around the country. Um, uh, for redistricting. Yes, yes. My biggest surprise, I think, this in this past election was the fact that the Michigan State House and Senate, for the first time in many decades, went Democratic. Forty years. Exactly, and I think it's due to, in part, to redistricting. Um, well, you know, guys, I don't care how you treat redistricting. Uh, we're supposed to be flexible enough to deal with any situation, and the people are, uh, even the young people. Many of the older people die off, and what's left is what they, the older generation left. That's what they live with. So um, <clears throat> uh, it's, it's not, redistricting is not a problem. We learn to adapt. But here's but here's the question I I have about redistricting. In Michigan, 
Now, it, and other states experienced this too, where they went through and, and established uh, independent committees to do the redistricting. But in, in Michigan, and I'll just use that as an example because I'm more familiar with the case here, it was a grassroots movement to establish a um, nonpartisan commission yeah. Yeah. to draw the, the mm-hmm. lines for representation. Yeah. But I can't help thinking that its support and its passage was largely Democratic-driven. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that some of the people who became, I, I think the, the, there was more of a Democratic presence and leaning in the, the commission. And maybe this is true in some other states as well. Because there are things that happened um, that, that make me wonder for all of the talk about, you know, the the Republicans um, controlling the redistricting because they had the majority, you know, in the legislature here, it, it didn't seem automatic that it would just flip in the in, in the next election cycle. Well, well you know, know what I mean? In fact, a lot of folks thought that, hey, that even the new the new plan had a Republican advantage built in, <clears throat> but it gave Democrats a little better shot because I think for the last roughly thirty or forty years, collectively, if you take all the votes for the House and Senate, generally there were more Democratic votes, but Republicans for the most part had the majority in the, in the House and Senate. <clears throat> so finally, those votes came around. And gave the Democrats the advantage, but it was it was by no means a, a slam dunk, because and even then it's still very close, just a couple of seats in each case for the Democratic advantage. So it's and uh, advantages vacillate; they move up and down. They follow oh, yeah. the fine curve. Yeah, there's no guarantee uh, it'll be the same. Yeah, you know, even if the Republicans were in, and they were the factors that caused the legislation that redistricting that we live by. It's the same thing if if you if uh, ten years from now when the tide turns, but it, this is not a permanent thing. It's temporary because American people are flexible enough to. But the but the new group that are yeah. drawing the lines, yes, are is a new permanent thing. Yeah. the The hope is that we don't have that pendulum going back and forth. If the Republicans are in power, we get Republican districts. No, we don't want that. We want stability in the government. We can't have that because you, uh, you get well, the that people. Becomes, that becomes the question. Do you think we have that, or did we just find a real different way of of swinging the pendulum back the other way? Well, I had no problem with how they did it. They brought both Democrats and Republicans. They said they were going to sit down and do this. I don't care who has the majority on one end or the other. But this is uh, this is what we're going to decide upon. And, and it, made, decided about. it, it made, made a lot of districts more competitive. You saw that with Dan Kildee. I mean, Kildee had yeah. the really the, the, the toughest race he's had yeah. for a while. Yes. In yes. a fairly relatively competitive district compared to what he's had in past years. But see, uh, the problem that we look at is uh, so voraciously because 
we measure a lifetime in decades. We don't measure them in centuries and eons and ages and all of that stuff. So we have to get all of that stuff done while we live. But so we, so we go out and we vote for something that's only temporarily is present and deciding the outcome of elections. And this, this will change again because there's nothing uh, more um, believable than there is that you will have constant change as long as you live. It's, this is only temporary. We've seen it over and over and over. Do you think it had, uh, an, was it a contributing factor to um, the shrinkage of the red wave and, and the yeah, I think Yeah, I think that that may have been a part of it, too. But, you know, it's true. One side has to crush the other side. That's the dominant factor. You can't, you can't just fiddle around with up and downs. Democrats had to work in a way that they crushed the Republicans. There's no such thing as uh, because we're in pursuit of power, presence, permanence, money, advantages, privileges, all of that stuff. So uh, I don't think that we have to be too concerned that all of this stuff is permanent because things change. And uh, I don't see this as a doom and gloom thing because we see changes all the time. Look, you, nobody would have ever thought about how much uh, people of color have risen in this country over the last 10 years. Yeah, you know, it's something that other people probably never had intended or visualized. But look at where how much change there. It's, uh, it's amazing. Maybe you don't see it, but I do. Oh, and that bodes well for the country. Well, one thing I, I, I want to bring up, moving on from the red wave in the midterms, is... Um, <clears throat> Some, and, and I'm going to mention a few of these things, and then we'll talk about it as as an overall uh, sort of thing. There have been some some big changes around the world. Um, Angela Merkel resigned, and um, you know that that position opened up. Um, Boris Johnson resigned as British mm-hmm. Prime Minister. Liz <clears throat> Truss had a very brief tenure as prime minister before it moved on to is it rishi sunak i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that Mm -hmm. right but um and then um let's see what was one of the other well this is this is local um the resignation and retirement of uh, flint city clerk inez brown yeah, and, and I thought uh, the timing yeah. of that was kind of interesting because it was just almost days before the election. Exactly. Yeah, it was very, very unusual. Anyway, yeah. um, but so, I, I know Inez to be an honorable woman. The other, um, the other name yeah. I wanted to mention was Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu. and his political comeback. There's just been some some real shuffling, and then. Mm-hmm. An attempted coup in Germany, which has been one of the most stable countries yes. in Europe yeah. over the last several, well, 
since it recovered from World War II, um, it it seems as though uh, the world is becoming less stable. It's not just the U.S. No, I think that's true. We're in a time I think it's right, too. I mean, and to go back to to Jan's earlier point, maybe the pandemic played some role in all of that and just unsettling yeah. so many of those things that have been in place for a long time. But uh, Well, if you have 8 billion people in the world and they all have uh, their own individual thoughts and their own idea of what life ought to be like, you're going to have nothing but change. There's no, You don't have enough to bring stability. The United States became a stable country because it had few people to work with and to create ideas and to create documents and create uh, visions and uh, to see them worked out. But uh, when you get populations where people, eight, 8 billion people in the world, and we're now um, invading the space of animals and they are now coming into our own spaces. Uh, we, we're taking we're the food chain, you know, we're affecting the food chain, guys. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, people are moving around. They say, hey, why should you be privileged to have all of this and I not? And, you know, when man put together societies, they compressed them with force. They made laws and say, you may not do this, you may not do that, and you will concede this to government and we have authority. Now, free speech says, well, dang you, I can say what I want to do. I can do what I want to do. If you don't, I have a gun. I can take your life. You know. Well, so, and, uh, that, and that raises uh, uh, a couple, couple of things that I want to get to in just a moment, Henry. But, but first, I meant to uh, bring up when we were talking, uh, however briefly, about the Michigan legislature flipping from red to blue. It also, uh, this year, uh, Jim Ananick, who is the uh, minority, Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. minority leader in the Senate, uh, in the Michigan State Senate. Um, I wanted to make a little comment about him with regard to legacy. When he left the Flint City Council... People were generally of the opinion that the council was a better place for him having served on it, and it certainly was while Uh, he was there. uh, True. I wonder, at least in the mind of Democrats, um, if if Jim Annenick's tenure in the in the state senate and before that in the house, if if somehow he hasn't improved those bodies right yeah did you read uh, read that's a good point did you he has a demeanor um, that's easy for other people to listen to follow yeah Yeah, go ahead i thought he behaved well first of all i was gonna ask did anybody read um what's his name jack smartis's piece right an evm about uh, Ann and Mick's tenure. It was really interesting and a uh, very well-written sort of tribute to his positive effect in, in, that, in his positions. And I kind of hate to see him go out of uh, 
out of the uh, directly political realm right now. Um, I know he's going to be at the Genesis, he's going to be at the health. I forget exactly where he's working now, but um, the, the, the Genesee Health Coalition isn't that it? I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So I have to look it up, but. I mean, I need to see him go out of that realm, and it makes you know. I voted for the. I think I voted for the term limits um, proposal, but like when you have somebody like that, you wish like could they just go on until yeah. we can't? Let's just keep seeing if we can reelect them. You know. Uh, so, was it, was that the point you wanted to make, um, Tom? It, it. I. I hadn't even thought about term limits, um, <clears throat> and but. I've never been a fan of term limits, um, largely because the people come and go so fast that the only people that have long-running careers in Lansing are lobbyists. Right. That's the problem with term limits, from my point of view. Exactly. And and the other thing, too, is that's what elections are for, and I, I just wish more people would vote and people would work harder on their elections to, you know, yeah. make points i i did something with the election this year that i've never done before um i kept track of all of the candidates who um, signed off on negative campaigns mm-hmm. and if they did i did not vote for them mm. and i didn't care what party I ended up voting for two republicans and two democrats the rest were all alternative <coughs> parties Hmm. Yeah, there, there were there were more than a few negative campaigns this time. I mean, that's that's hardly unusual, though. It's well, the the only <laughs> there was one that started out real positive it was David Martin's campaign, the state oh, yeah. from Davison, and it, it was all about his military service and his public service, and it was it was the ideal political campaign ads, and then boom, two weeks before the election, it just flipped. Yeah, you know, I know. I know. I know which ads you're talking about. Yeah, and I, I, I was so disappointed, <laughs> you know. And I and I like Dave, and I know, and I know somebody, you know, told him this is the way to win elections and all that. You know, I know. Yeah, I know how they play the game. Yeah, but I just I just made a decision for myself. I will no longer support a candidate that says I'm so and so, and I approve this message, and it's mud and schmear and mm, yeah. You know, I I just, I will not do it. And some people say that's wasting a vote. And I say, no, it's taking a stand. No, you know, and I want to say something about that, too. Uh, You get all these people who uh, write you these messages about uh, you're not loyal to the cause or all that stuff if you don't do this or that. Well, you know what I do? I trash that, whether it comes (laughs) from a Democrat or a Republican. I don't want anybody talking to me that way. I have freedom of thought and freedom of will. And when I vote for someone, the American governmental system gives me that right to do that. I don't have to agree with every Republican. I don't have to agree with every Democrat. I could, and going out and trying to force people to, uh, to uh, do things that are against their native thinking would be the wrong thing to do. So I don't, uh, I don't, I trash all of those. So those who are sending me messages that way, please save them for yourselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> save, the <laughs> save the money. Save the money. One other thing, uh, well, 
I guess two more things before I go to the uh, to the X Files that I wanted to bring up and talk about a little bit. One is at this time of year in previous years when we've done these sort of look back at the year uh, summations, if you will. One of the things we've talked about is mass and active shooter situations. Mm -hmm. And there have certainly been a a bunch of them. Every other day it seems like there's something in. And maybe more this year than in previous years. But there is a new phenomenon that has me very nervous. And, and, you know, part of it is when... um, Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that's really bothering me is these attacks on power stations. I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. There, there were a couple more on Christmas Day. There was one earlier in the year uh, that that was supposed to impact some some gay pride thing event at a a gay bar or something. But I'm concerned that that's going to become the protest of choice, is to shut the lights out. Mm. To hurt everybody. Don't just hurt one person. Yeah. Hurt the whole, hurt everybody. And, you know, the, the fact that our that our power grid or our infrastructure is so vulnerable has me very concerned. Yes, and that's when, when that, if that should start happening, that could be a cause for great, great disruption in very unpredictable ways. Well, I guess they have to regiment the American people like the people around on this board uh, to watch for things that look suspicious like that because that's. There's no way that you can get away from that vulnerability otherwise. And keep your generators keep gassed up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the, that's but what, that only serves one person. Go ahead, Dan. We have to keep teaching cursive and not yeah. using calculators, just in case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. That's right. <laughs> Everybody yeah. better brush up on their uh, on their math skills. How to build a fire. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's Man. see. Um, I guess this is a... No, no, the, ch- the chance for that, for, for, for great turmoil, is enormous. There's, there's an old saying, I've, I've forgotten where I'd picked it up or where I've heard it, that says that no nation is more than three meals away from revolution. And what they mm-hmm. meant was that if all of a sudden nobody can eat for, for, for three meals, mm-hmm. you're going to have just great turmoil in any nation. And I think the same yes. thing could be true of power stations as well. Yes. If, if you saw that kind of a turmoil. Yeah. It's an umbilical and, cord. And you don't know who the enemy is in this That's case. That's right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like in Ukraine, those amazing people there are standing up to a common enemy and enduring great privation. If some, But this thing, we don't even know who the hell is doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm pretty concerned about that and 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 I'll, and I'll give you the definition of irony as we were approaching this uh this winter storm these these frigid temperatures and the big snows that have happened around the state and around the country um i was really concerned because of the prediction of 50 mile an hour winds that 
power outages were going to be a big thing to contend with, and I was concerned about having a power outage here. So I made sure that the generator was all ready. I brought a couple of space heaters into the house, had a couple of coolers in the kitchen in case we had to empty the fridge or the freezer or something. And then our water pipes froze. Oh, oh no! <laughs> oh. But they didn't break. They didn't break. Did no, they? they didn't. They didn't mm. burst. And in fact, it was it was really kind of a silly little thing. Uh, some snow and ice had gotten through the skirting, you know, at our mobile yeah. home, and packed up right around where the parks line comes into our plumbing, and mm-hmm. froze it there. Mm. And uh, mm. fortunately, uh, Sandy's son Jake had one of those big construction heaters, and he came over and melted. Oh, well, that's so good news at least. We we were without water for a few hours, and there was no damage. But yeah, but I spent a couple of days preparing for a power outage. Wow. And we did absolutely nothing, you know, like running the taps a little bit like you're supposed to if you're concerned about pipes freezing. We didn't do any of that. You know, just completely forgot about taking care of the water system. (laughs) And, you know, uh, to add on to that discussion, the thing that bothers me is all of this immigration that's coming into the country. They know that we probably need some of it because we have to have people to improve our GDP. But... uh, can you imagine uh, the difficulty when people find opportunities and uh, to protect themselves or to secure for themselves? That is exactly what they will do. They will invade homes. They will. Um, they will do all those things that uh, that you sometimes find in the circumstances you're in when your power goes out or when you shoot uh, a transformer uh, or disrupt society in any way. But we're just bringing in people in the country that don't necessarily, uh, we haven't seen them demonstrate their loyalty to this kind of a society. We're a pretty stable society. And uh, so where we go from here, I don't know. we got to do something there. Uh, to make sure that what the condition is in this country right now doesn't get any worse than what it is. Well, stand by for a moment, everybody. Uh, I, th- I think it's time to shift gears and, and uh, take a look at, at some X-Files. So, um, Sounds good. All right, stand by. Well, I always like to end uh, armchair politics with uh, some weird and wacky stories that uh, I call the X-Files. And, and we'll start out with uh, with this one that seems especially appropriate to the X-Files. A new Pentagon office set up to track reports of unidentified flying objects has received several hundreds, that's hundreds, of new reports, but no evidence so far of alien life, the agency's leadership told reporters on Friday. 
The All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, AARO, was set up in July and is responsible for not only tracking unidentified objects in the sky, but also underwater or in space or potentially an object that has the ability to move from one domain to the next. The office was established following more than a year of attention on unidentified flying objects that military pilots have observed but have sometimes been reluctant to report due to fear of stigma. If there's no evidence of extraterrestrial life, why set up the agency? Hmm. <laughs> just, just, no. just, just a thought, just a question. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe they were Socrates. <laughs> and, and what are these, and what are these domain, uh, domains that, objects might move from one to the other are we talking about time travel are we talking about different dimensions uh you know are, are we talking about quantum physics here i don't know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah that was a uh, socratic method that you used there by asking well, a question that blank everybody else Maybe they all came here looking for intelligent life and then took a look around and decided to leave. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. There was one. Well, I told you about the the, the thought I had about, uh, oh, back when we went through three mares in one calendar year. And, You're right. You know, the an extraterrestrial would land on the bricks and get out and walk up to a Flint resident and say, take me to your leader, and they just stand <laughs> yeah. there scratching their heads saying, I don't know who that is. Uh, I've got the slightest uh, idea. <laughs> well, here's a couple right. of uh, holiday-related uh, X-Files that I thought was kind of fun. The Grinch came early for an Arizona driver who tried to pass off an inflatable figure of the Dr. Seuss character as a passenger. The Arizona Department of Public Safety says a state trooper last week noticed a car in a high-occupancy vehicle lane on Interstate 10 in Phoenix with a suspicious-looking green passenger. <laughs> While the gag may have caused the officer's heart to grow, it did not stop the driver from getting cited for being in the HOV lane during a restricted time. The agency, however could not help but post a photo of the Grinch figure with the driver's face blurred on its Twitter account. Officials say they appreciate the festive flair, but that the driver's action was still illegal. Um, was ticketing a car with Grinch as a passenger putting the holiday at risk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. Now, here's one I really get a kick out of. A pair of calves playing bit parts in a North Carolina church's live nativity scene escaped to a nearby state park last week. Photos show police waist deep in the Cape Fear River at Carolina Beach State Park as they tried pulling the swimming animals back to dry land. When you're a police officer in a small island community, you may get some unusual calls, the local department noted in a Facebook post. Officers were dispatched to help state park rangers round up the escapees 
who had been performing in the live nativity scene at Seaside Chapel in the community of Carolina Beach, some 140 miles southeast of Raleigh, uh, according to police. They were finally brought to heel with the help of community volunteers and a canine with specialized herding skills, noted the department. <laughs> were, were these officers fortunate that the Cape Fear River was the only thing they were waist deep in? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well put, well put. Well, I'm going to squeeze one more in here. Um, you think maybe the three wise men could have helped find the cattle better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. Frankincense and moo. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Gold, frankincense, and moo. Uh, well, here's another, uh, another animal one that's uh, kind of interesting. And this is sort of in honor of uh, Jan's recent trip to California, because this is a California story. Okay, I'm, I'm up to that. Rules are rules. Animal control officials in Southern California have granted permission for a little girl to keep a unicorn at home, provided she follows strict guidelines. Los Angeles County Animal Care and Control this week shared a letter it received from a child named Madeline. The girl wrote, Dear L.A. County, I would like your approval if I can have a unicorn in my backyard if I can find one. Please send me a letter in response. Director Marcia Mayetta replied with a letter along with a pre-approved unicorn license, a heart-shaped license tag, and a plush toy unicorn uh, until Madeline finds a real one. Photos of the license of Madeline's letter were posted to the agency's social media. The licensing letter included five conditions. One, the unicorn must be cared for in compliance with all animal caretaking regulations <laughs> set forth in Los Angeles County Code Title 10. Two, the unicorn is given regular access to sunlight, moonbeams, and rainbows. Wow, that's so cute. Three, yeah. the unicorn is fed one of its favorite treats, watermelon, at least once each week. Ugh. The unicorn's horn must be maintained to be in good health. This requires polishing at least once a month with a soft cloth. And finally, uh, five, any sparkles or glitter used on the unicorn must be non-toxic and biodegradable to ensure the uni unicorn's good health. Um, and Mayetta commented, or commended rather, Madeline for her sense of responsible pet ownership. Is this <laughs> a uniquely L.A. story? Uh, I would think so. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. Because um, hmm. uh, does a unicorn exist? Uh, does a unicorn exist? They exist, I know, astronomically, but do they exist in reality? Well, hopefully well, they'll do a follow-up story if the, the young girl if they ever find finds one, yeah. one, yeah. Um, hopefully it won't be eaten by a Bigfoot. That's right. Now, we're not talking about a rhino, guys. No. 
And that's uh, that doesn't refer to a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it, so. Uh, it, 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 it refers to an animal that weighs three or four tons and runs 20 miles an hour. Well, that wraps it up for uh, for the X-Files, but I did think we'd uh, take the remaining 10 minutes or so and um, see if there are anything, if there are any stories that, that we haven't talked about that you would like to include and or to uh, maybe project a little bit of what there is to look forward to in 2023. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to start with this one. I, um, we didn't talk about the, the fate of gasoline in this country. Uh, we, we were using uh, gasoline out of our reserve systems now until that is exhausted. And then notice the gasoline is uh, at an average of about $278, maybe in that range. But yeah, it just recently much. went down under 3 Oh, yeah, yeah, it's been under three yeah. all over the place. Yeah, so, um, guys, we... Can we say thank you, Joe Biden, now? Yeah, <laughs> they blame yeah, when it got too high. What's going to happen in, right. in two months, though, when that reserve is gone? I mean, uh, we, uh, I, I was just wondering, there are two ways out, though. We can start uh, uh, refining oil in this country, and... Uh, and I don't know, I mean, we still have to uh, decide how that's going to impact inflation and so on and so forth. And who gets the profits and how we share the profits. Because I don't think oil companies will, people are willing to let oil companies uh, have the kind of profits they've had in the past. That's probably true. Yeah. Hey, was, you know, I was going to say... Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I was going to say, looking ahead on a local level, there's maybe a couple of things worth worth looking at with at least your fingers crossed. One is the, the hope that maybe, maybe, the uh, Mayor Neely will start to get along with the city council uh, in a uh-huh. meaningful way. A second one to look at, I think, is what's going to happen with the uh, Flint School Board, with uh, the five yeah, new I'm members elected that. there. Will they finally mm-hmm. be able to get along with each other and and revitalize the schools in some way. And the third thing we've talked about a lot in East Village Magazine, of course, are the potential changes going on at U of M Flint. Uh, will U of M right. Flint survive, and if so, in, in what form? And I think all three of those things are going to be some hot-button issues to watch for the uh, the next year to come. Well, one Wouldn't it be s- nice if this city made a nice turn towards good governance yes. in the next 12 months? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that would solve a lot of our problems. That would solve a lot of our problems. Yeah, it you could would. usher in new businesses here, which we need badly. Well, you know, on the U of M thing, I wanted to mention that, in all due respect to Chancellor uh, Dutta, the leader of U of M Flint, he really stepped in it when he compared the detractors to the program to election deniers. I mean, the last thing you want to do with the people that are arguing something different than you, especially if they're political scientists that lean towards the left, <laughs> is to compare them to election deniers. I mean, if you read my news story that just went up today, they they are infuriated that he made that comparison. Well, and what I just thought, you know, 
That's one of those things. It's it's like comparing someone to Hitler, you know, even yeah. even though yeah. it may just be, um, you know, allegory. It's it's um, you know what what if it's just bad judgment? And what if some of those people themselves are election deniers? You yeah. know, then yeah. what does that do for your argument? It's just a bad way to to approach it, but it's one a bad way to go. One one big item that I that I forgot to mention when we were talking about some of the changes in in leadership around the world is as I have to at least mention that uh, England has a new king. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I guess that didn't come to the top of our list. Well, I had it on my list, but we were bouncing around a lot, and I I missed over it when we were talking about Angela Merkel and Boris Johnson and some of those things. I should have mentioned it right then and there. Um, I saw the the new king making his uh, Christmas message, and it'll be worth worth watching to see whether he can establish the same kind of presence i guess is the best word that elizabeth had well he's going to spend it it, and i've seen a little bit of evidence of it so far but he's going to spend a year memorializing the queen probably yeah you know every every event he's going to have to say this event is different now because it's me and not the queen and and that's Mm going to take a year to cycle through all the main events yeah but he looks honorable and respectable. He he bears the uh, well, and he's waited for that gig even longer than Dan Kildee waited to serve in Congress. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ooh, that was yeah. bad. Because oh. <laughs> his uncle, oh, man, his I cousin's dead. That guy. Yeah. What, I mean, that guy has never had any choice in his life. You know, I <clears throat> I just like Prince Philip was bound into a difficult position all through his lifetime, but he chose to marry her, you know. But Prince Charles, he's just never had any other career options. So to speak. That's right. So I, I find the whole thing kind of creepy. I mean, I know he, you know, he's got billions of dollars to assuage his um, his misery in that job. But <laughs> what a oh, what a job to have, Jesus. But remember, all of the time. power is in time. Parliament. Well, you know, right. the, the power is in Parliament. Uh, right. I mean, that's so. part of it. It's like the impotence of this, you know, figurehead position. He has to put on all these fancy clothes all the time and mm-hmm. walk around and basically not be able to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but get criticized if he uh, says the wrong thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. It was. Oh, it was yeah. like the uh, the element in the in the movie King Ralph. Um, when they talked about wearing the crown to get used to the weight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a lot of weight to get used to, despite the fact that he's been trained for it for a lifetime. Yeah, well, yeah he's had a long, yeah, long and, training and period. Um, at, least he, at least he has Camilla now to go to bed with at night, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth came came to it, you know, almost cold, not quite cold turkey, but with not that much preparation when she became queen. Right, right. So, 
very different kind of situation. Is there a legacy for Queen Elizabeth II? Oh, yes. Uh, she She's number two. I mean, other than, number one was? Other than the number length. one. Huh? Other than the length of time that oh, she served as queen. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I, I guess I guess if nothing else, she preserved the monarchy and provided some stability during a lot of turmoil within the family, especially, and so some within Britain itself, but in the family too. Maybe that's a couple of thoughts that come to my mind. And, and she kept uh, together the image of Europeans being dominant in that part of the world. You know. Um, the ones that in the 16th and 17th century bought mathematics and engineering and all of that stuff to reality, the way we live, <clears throat> set the tone to how we live today, the reality that we see through our lands. Well, we're getting uh, down to the last couple of minutes, and I want to say thank you to um, to all of you. Jan, thank you. Uh, Janworth Nelson, uh, consulting editor for uh, the uh, East Village Magazine. Um, Henry Hatter, longtime Genesee County Republican. Henry, thank you for being part of this discussion. And, of course, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, thank you. It's a pleasure. Nice to have the band back together again. It is. And And no commercials. Happy New Year. And no commercials today. Hey, uh, you know, Jan has always been an inspiration to You know, Paul, you and I would be nothing without Jan. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, come on, you guys. <laughs> now, you don't have to go there, Henry. God. Oh, I yes, we do. You, you, you keep us... You <laughs> yes, but you keep us stable and secure and on the right track. That's right, she does. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. Thank you. Well, I really, I really respect and honor all three of you, and it's a, it's an honor to be with you again. Well, thank you so much for doing it, and uh, happy holidays to everybody that's uh, listening. Whatever holiday you spend, Merry Christmas to the Round Table, and Happy New Year. I hope I hope uh, some of the optimism that that came up a little bit parenthetically throughout our conversation um, is uh, is justified and. Um, uh, solidified by the new year. I hope so, too. And in as much as I haven't gotten any calls from WJR or CNN or anybody, I suspect that I'll be tearing the studio down come New Year's Eve. (laughs) And and this will actually be the last of uh, Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner program. As far as I can tell, there doesn't seem to be anything uh, planned for 2023, but eh, things change. Um, in the meantime... I'm hanging there. Well, thank you. In the meantime, that smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting us know it's time to wrap it up for another day, another week, another month, another year. And uh, I would say I'd be back tomorrow, but I won't. <laughs> Happy New Year. But Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year everyone. to Happy everybody. New Year. Happy New Year. Stand by all. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show 
We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.